Church, it's really good to be back uh, in the pulpit this week. And uh, uh, last week I woke up about one in the morning, I mean crazy sick. And uh, I'm really, really thankful uh, for Jeff that he has filled in when I, I called him real quick like that. <clears throat> Today, though, we're starting a brand new sermon series entitled, I Am. And, and you know, all throughout the Bible, we, we see seven statements that Jesus made. And he said, I am. And then he was something. And, and to the dead man, Jesus was life, church. To the prostitute, he was a second chance. To the searching, he was the long-awaited answer. And so this whole month, we're going to be looking at Jesus and what he meant when he would say, I am. In Acts chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, it says this, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Church, today we're going to be talking about the statement where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. But I want you first to understand what an I am statement is. For us, church, for you and I as individuals, we are told to speak those words. I am beautiful. I am funny. You know, I am somebody. I'm special. We're told to speak those words to identify ourselves or to change who we perceive ourselves to be. But Jesus made 70 statements, and the reason Jesus made these statements was this. It was to establish who he was. He didn't need to build himself up in his mind saying, I can do this. I am good enough. I am able. No, he didn't have to do that. He knew who he was. And so what he did is he spoke these I am statements to establish who he was, that he was God, that he was not just a helper to God, that he was God. And he was not just a great teacher. But he was the divine church. He was eternal. He was pre-existent. He was infinite. And he was a perfect being. He was saying, I am God. That's what it meant. He also made statements like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. He also said, I am the bread of life. And, and, and if you eat me, then you will never be hungry again. And he also said this, church. He said, I am the door by which you enter. So today we're talking and we're looking at where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 11, this is where the, most of our text is going to come from today. And, and in John chapter 11 and, and verse 25 is where we'll start out. It's this, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And so first I want to make sure we establish and you understand what is this word resurrection? What exactly is resurrection? Well, Webster's Dictionary tells us this. Resurrection is this, to come back into use or importance. If you want my opinion, Webster's Dictionary dumbed it down a little bit for us. It's actually this, when Jesus came back from the grave to life. That's what we look at, the resurrection. So when Jesus said this, when he, he was saying this in John eleven twenty five, 25, when he said, I am the resurrection and life, and the one who believes in me will live even though they die. I want you to understand something. When Jesus said this, it was in the context of a much broader story about another guy that died, and his name was Lazarus. 
So today what we're going to do is be looking in John chapter 11 about Lazarus. And then when we're done looking at him, I want to look at three different ways that many of us, we die inside and see how the resurrection of Jesus Christ, church, can bring us back what is dead to be brought back to life. Pick it up with me, if you will, in John chapter 11, starting verse 1, says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So we got Lazarus, he's sick, and, and, and the sisters decide, like, oh man, we need to send for Jesus, right? They've seen amazing things. Mary, she was right down in front with him at one time. She knows he can do what he says he can do. There's witnesses, there's all these things. So they said, you know what? Our brother's really sick, so we gotta send for Jesus. We're gonna send for him. I want you to think for a moment, how many of you right now in this period of life, you know, you hear the word seasons of life all the time, right? You got spring, summer, winter, fall, all those kind of things. There's seasons, but there's also seasons in life. How many of you right now in your lifetime, you are celebrating something in this good season that you're in? You know what I'm talking about? You're just like, man, I just love this life right now. I love what's going, I love what's happening, and I really enjoy this life. Maybe you got a brand new beginning in your life going on right now. Maybe it's a child being born. Maybe, church, you got a new relationship that's developing. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new home. Maybe it's a new man, a new woman. Whatever it might be, you got a good season going. But you know what, church, on the other hand, On the other hand, there are a lot of people that are hurting right now. Maybe they've gotten some news just like the sisters heard about Lazarus. Maybe it's someone you're close to, church, you know, that has cancer. Or maybe your dream marriage has turned into a nightmare. Maybe you have felt betrayed, church. You felt betrayed by a really close friend. Maybe the principal calls you to talk about your teenager and ain't calling to tell you he's on the honor roll either, right? Maybe it's the same thing that Jesus heard here. The one you love is sick. Now in the middle of this, in the middle of all this church, Jesus says something amazing. Look at verse four with me. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. He says it is for God's glory. He said it's for, it's for God so that God's son may be glorified through that. And this very thing, church, the very thing that you're going through that you never would have wanted to happen, you never would have wished, do you realize that God can bring glory to himself through the worst news that you ever possibly could imagine? Any trial that you and I face, church, ultimately can bring glory to God. Any trouble that you're going through in life ultimately can bring glory to God. He can bring good out of any situation at all. I mean, church, listen to me, any situation. God can bring good. We see it all throughout the Bible, right? In Genesis chapter 50 and and verse 20, I'll give you a little bit of background, right? You remember Joseph, his brothers were nasty to him, you know, sold him into slavery, threw him in the pit, all that kind of nasty stuff because they were jealous of him. Well, they had to come back to him. 
And in verse 20, it says this, Joseph's brothers are looking, I mean, no, I'm sorry, Joseph's brothers are looking for forgiveness. In verse 20, it says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the savings of many lives. So you saw something great come about for Joseph. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Man, we've said that so many times from the pulpit. And we know that in all things, God works for the good, for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So we know that good things can come from the rough patches of life. And God gets the glory. Now back to Lazarus, right? Everybody believes that Jesus is going to come. The sisters, they send out word, hey, Jesus, the one you love is sick. So, of course, in their mind, like, oh, man, he's going to run back here real fast. He, he's going to come, and he's going to take care of business. Everybody believe he's going to come help. Church, what does Jesus do? Ha, nothing. He doesn't do anything. For two days, he, he, he doesn't do anything. He got word that the one you love is sick. And he just, Jesus just didn't do anything. Kind of just picture him walking around. You know, he's just doing his life, right? Doing his thing. He's just hanging out. And imagine his family waiting. They sent word the one you love is sick. And these sisters are waiting. Sometimes, church, how often do you feel like Mary and Martha? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you got something going on and and. and, and you're, you're calling out to God and you're saying, Lord, I want you to take care of this. And Lord, I'm surrendering this unto you. And he's taking his time. You know, your, your loved one is sick. The one that you love is sick. And he's taking his time. He, he's just, you know, you're like, where are you at? You know, why are you taking care of this? I don't know about you guys. I'm telling you what, God is working on me. He's really working hard on me. I can't stand to wait. I hate to wait. I hate to wait on anything. I, I can't even stand to wait because I walk a lot faster than Mary. We're at Walmart, and I'm usually 15 steps, and I got to stop. I'm like, are you coming, girl? You know, I, and I don't even like to wait on people, okay? And God's really working on me because I when I'm praying and I'm like, Lord, I want you to take care of this and, and I need you to show up. I, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And then I sit there and wait because I'm that guy. If you pray it tonight when I go to bed, guess what? It better be done tomorrow. God isn't the tooth fairy, guys. He's not. You don't go to sleep and he shows up and does his work while you're sleeping and it's, it's over. No. Sometimes he makes you wait. So here we go with the, the, the sisters, they're freaking out, and Jesus is hanging out. And, and so two days after getting the word, two days after they heard that the one you love is sick, Jesus finally tells his disciples, he says, all right, guys, let's go back to Judea. So they're going to head back. And the disciples are like, no, 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 you can't. Because if you go back, they'll kill you. Jesus, we can't go back there. They'll kill you. And Jesus says this. He says, no, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and we need to go wake him up. We need to go wake him up. Listen, church, Jesus wasn't saying this old guy was sleepy. <laughs> That's not what he was saying. It was a metaphor. He's dead. And he's saying we need to go back and raise him from the dead. And so what I want to do right now, church, I want to look at three characters for all of us. And I believe you might be able to identify with one of them, if not all of them. We're going to look at three characters through this story. The first one is this, Thomas. 
Some of you can relate to Thomas. Thomas was dead in his doubts. Thomas was dead in his doubts. He's doubting Thomas. Check out John chapter 11, verse 16. It says this, Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, he was the first rapper, in case you didn't know that, okay? <laughs> then Thomas, also known as Didymus, he said to the rest of his disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. So not only is Thomas a doubter, for some of you, you might really like him. He's sarcastic. What he's saying is like, yeah, all right, let's go so we all can die too, right? That's the attitude he had. Not only did he doubt, but he was sarcastic. Let's all go die with him. This isn't going to turn out good. Why are we doing this? How many of you have had some spiritual doubts in your life, church? I'm talking about, you know what, you, you have doubts. Maybe even right now, you're sitting here right now, and you've got some doubts. You're struggling because you know what? You know who God is. You've seen him do amazing things, haven't you? You've witnessed some really wild stuff that God has done, but yet right now you're struggling in your faith and you're doubting God. I tell you what, church, don't sit there shining your halos. I do the same thing too, even last week. You know, I've seen God do some really wild stuff in my life. I mean, crazy. And then when last night I sit there and pray, Lord, I need you to take care of this, in the back of my mind, and I bet you do this too, I'm like, yeah, that ain't going to happen. I'm sitting there with all the confidence knowing who God is, that he works that way, and he'll do amazing things. And as I'm praying, the little voice in the back of my head going, yeah, that ain't going to work. That ain't going to happen. I believe all of us at one point we prayed a prayer, believed God could. We, we, we thought that he would, and then he didn't. And you know what? Boom. We're bombarded with doubts. Like, why didn't he do this? Maybe some of you grew up with a really simple faith in God. You know what I'm talking about? I call it cradle Christian. You were raised in the church. You always knew it. You always knew because your parents taught you. Your Sunday school teacher told you this truth, all these kind of things. And you were just a Christian your whole life. And then you know what happens, church? You go off to college. You got some clown professor who wants to tell you that ain't real. That stuff's all made up. That's just a really, really good fairy tale. You go to school. You hear these things. And then you begin to question Maybe you begin to have a little bit of doubt, and you're like, you know what? I know that was my parents' faith, or was it mine? Was it my parents' faith that they transferred to me, or was that actually my faith? Do I really believe that? And then you're overcome with doubts. In church, you know what? You become a little bit dead in your doubts. You become a little bit dead in your doubts. Or maybe you believed in God and wanted something to happen to somebody that you really, really love, church. You love them. And then you think, if God is good, if God is so good, why did he let that happen? Why did he let that happen? If he's all powerful, why didn't he stop it? You know what, church? We begin to end up like Thomas, where, where something on the inside is a little bit dead because of our doubts. So we have Doubting Thomas. The next is we have is this, Mary. Mary was dead in discouragement. How many of you can relate with that church? You just don't see anything good happening. 
Even though God's doing amazing things in your life, you just don't see anything good happening. You know, what we do is we focus on this one problem we have, don't we? We will zero in on that problem. And there can be really wild, amazing stuff all around you that God is doing. He's supplying your needs. He's taking care of things. He is working, working all things for his good, right? In your life. But you zero in on that problem. And you're like, yeah, I wish God would take care of something in my life. You ever had a friend like that? You ever have that friend where, you, I mean, you're trying to really invest in like, listen, things are good. Yeah, you do have that problem, but what about this? What about this? You know, have you ever thought about this, right? You got all these good things in your life, and you're acting like your life stinks, and they don't see it, and you want to grab them and just shake them, right? You just can't seem to get a break, church. See, church, Mary was very discouraged. John chapter 11, if you'll look at this with me, in John chapter 11, I want you to look at verse 20 with me. It says this, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So you kind of miss that little part about Mary right there. There's Martha. Jesus is coming. She's taking off. I'm going to go get this guy, right? My Lord's coming. What did Mary do? I'm staying right here, Right? We do that sometimes, don't we? God didn't answer my prayer. I ain't going to church. I prayed for that. I didn't see it. I'm staying home. I'm not doing that. We do that. So Mary was discouraged, right? She was dead in her discouragement. She just stayed home. She kind of had that attitude. Like, Why bother? Why should I run down there and meet him? I don't need to go out there. Lazarus is already dead. He's already gone. Why should I worry about it? There's nothing that can be done now. Where were you at, Jesus? Where were you at? Some of you might be in Mary's boat. You might be discouraged just like her. You're sitting there thinking, I can't change anything. Nothing can be changed. I'm, I'm always going to feel alone. I'm always going to feel depressed. I'm always going to be stuck in this dead-end job. I'm never going to have the marriage I thought I would have. I'm stuck and discouraged. You're kind of in that rut, aren't you, church? You're kind of in that space. And some of you, though, you come to church, you ain't going to show it here, though, are you? No, you're not. You get all cleaned up. You took a shower this morning. Thank you very much. Everybody appreciates that. <laughs> you got dressed up and you come to church. And you put on that fake smile, hallelujah, brother, it's all good, isn't it? And then you go home, and you just fall apart. You're discouraged, and, and you're depressed. Mary was stuck in discouragement. Some of you, you're dead in your doubts. Some of you are dead in discouragement. And the third one is Martha. And listen to this, church. Martha was dead in the delay. What does that mean? God took way too long. He, he took too long. Jesus should have came back earlier, but he didn't. We sent him word. We told him, the one you love is sick. And he took too long. Why did he take too long? John chapter 11, verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. In verse 21, it says this, Lord, Martha said that Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, why exactly does this little piece matter, church? See, in this time in history, when Martha was alive, in this time in history, it was widely believed, it was widely believed that a spirit would stick around for three days after someone died. 
See, that's not biblical belief. That is not a Christian belief. It's kind of like a folklore. That, that when someone died, their spirit would stay kind of close, just in case, just in case I can come back. Their spirit would be able to come back into the body they believed. But they believed that after four days, the spirit left. So in Martha's mind, Lazarus, he wasn't mostly dead. He was dead, dead. It was over. He was dead, dead. He, he, he was dead and then some. And later on in the story, church, later on in the story, Martha would describe how his body would smell. In verse 38 of the King James Version, it says, he stinketh. You and I, we say he's stanky. But Martha in the King James Version said, he stinketh. He, he stinketh. So he was four days dead. The spirit was gone in Martha's eyes. And he was dead, dead. And he stinketh. But in John chapter 11, verse 21, remember, Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she's like, Jesus, you just took too long. You took way too long for this. How many of you can relate, church? You, you feel dead in your delay. You're waiting. You're waiting on some answered prayer. You're waiting on some result in your life. Maybe some of you really good Christian girls, you know what I'm talking about? You, you, you're a good Christian girl. You, you want to get married, and man, you have been waiting. You're, you're trying to be faithful to God, and, and, and you're doing what you're called to do, and you just so bad want to get married. You know, all the other girls, they're out there in the clubs, you know, getting jiggy with it out there at the clubs. <laughs> By the way, that means dress nicely for those of you whose mind's in the wrong spot. Look it up. Urban Dictionary, by the way. But anyways, you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know what? They're all getting married and I'm not. Where's my husband? You're feeling discouraged and you're dead in the delay. Some married couples, right? Wanting a baby. They're trying so hard and, and they're really trying. That's their biggest desire is to have a baby. And, and you know, they, they just want this baby so bad. And they keep praying, like, God, please bless us. And, you know, their best friend had triplets. I want one. They got three. You know, it's that kind of feeling. They're discouraged. Maybe, church, it's some loved one that you want so bad to experience the goodness of God that they might come to know him, and you've been praying and praying and praying for that person. And the more you pray, the further they get away from God, it seems like to you, doesn't it? You're discouraged, and you wonder, why, God? Church, I really want to make sure you get this today. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. Just because God hasn't done something yet doesn't mean that God is still not in charge. Just because he hasn't done it yet doesn't mean he's going to, that he's not going to. God is the one who calls the shots, church. He's the one who is in charge. He has a plan he has a plan, and his plan means that he will be glorified in the future. He will be glorified in the future through every, the very thing that is going on today that you and I would never want to happen. He'll be glorified in that if you let him. So here we go. Lazarus dies. Thomas freaks out. Mary's depressed. Martha's mad. And in verse 22... Remember in verse 21, it said, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then she goes on and says this, but I know that even now, 
God will give you whatever you ask. So here's that bright spot from Martha. She says, I know that even right now, I like those two words, even now. You know, some of you church, you're stuck on verse 21. Really, in your life, whatever it is that's going on, where you're like, you know what? If you would have been here, my brother would have not have died. You are stuck on verse 21 that you can't see anything past that. You don't understand that it's not over yet, maybe, that that God is still the one in charge. God is the one who's going to do something here. And you're stuck on verse 21. But in 22, where Martha says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask, Jesus. Jesus, whatever you ask for, he's going to give it to you. You hear other people talk. You see God at work in in other areas, other people's lives, but you're stuck on verse 21. That it's over, he's dead, he's gone. There's no hope. It doesn't matter. Church, I wanted to encourage you right now. It's time for you to start looking a little further down the page. You need to get over whatever your verse 21 is, your discouragement, your anger, all those things. Whatever it is in your life, it's your personal stuff. But you need to get past that verse 21, and you need to move on to verse 22, where even now, even now, doesn't matter. I know the situation's bad, Lord, but even now, I know you can do whatever you want. I know that you can still handle it. I believe with all my heart, church, some of you need an even now moment in your life. We need to come to that realization, it's not too late. Even now, when you feel all alone, the Holy Spirit will give you peace. The peace that passes all understanding, of course. Even now, church, God can reach into your jacked up family. He he can bring you healing. He can bring harmony. He can bring forgiveness. He can bring restoration even now. He can do that. Even now, when everything looks impossible, when every single thing looks impossible, we serve a God who says this, all things are possible. All things are possible. So even now, when your heart may be cold, Even now where your heart may be callous towards the things of God, I want you to know, church, he can soften your heart and he can draw you in even now. He can do that. So even now, church, when there is something dead, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ can bring it back to life. The thing that you're going through, church, he can bring it back. The mental state that you're in, Church, he can bring it back. The physical state that you're in, church, he can bring it back. Verse 23 through 26, check this out. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's just repeating stuff back to him. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, he said. Church, the resurrection is not just what he did. It's who he is. It's not just what Jesus did. It's who he is. So I want you, if you're writing stuff down, write this down. The resurrection is not an event. It is a person. And it's Jesus Christ. That's who it is. So as I get ready to wrap things up here, And I called the praise team up here. I want to share with you. I love this part of this story. 
John chapter 11, check out verse 43 and 44. It says, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let him go. How many of you this morning, church, do you feel dead inside? How many of you, I mean, you came to church today and you've lost some of your faith. Maybe you've come to church today and you've lost some hope. Maybe you come to church today and you are dead in delay. I'm talking about you're discouraged. I'm talking about you have doubts. How many of you, you're sitting here today and you feel trapped in a tomb? You are tied down. You are in shackles of those grave clothes. Do you realize, church, the very same voice that shouted out, Lazarus, come out, is the very same voice that is calling you out of the tomb of your dead life. The very same voice, church. He is telling you to come out of that tomb. He's telling you your sins can be forgiven. Not because you're good, church, but because he's good. He's telling you that you can be set free. Not because you are strong, but because he is strong. He is telling you that you can feel his presence, church. Not because you deserve it, but because he's good. Church, I want to remind you, he is the resurrection. He is the one who is the resurrection. It's not what he does, church. It is who he is. He can resurrect that body of yours. He can resurrect your mindset. He can resurrect your heart. He can resurrect a situation that seems completely dead and gone because he is the resurrection. And I want to remind you what it says again in verse 25. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And then again in verse 26, he says this, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So I'm asking you, the church that's sitting here and the church that is out there online, I'm asking you this morning, honestly, do you believe that he can do this? Do you believe that he can bring you back from the edge of wherever that you're at right now? Do you believe that he can resurrect your mind? Do you believe he can resurrect your heart? That he can resurrect your life? And church, I believe with all my heart that God is calling some of you out of the tomb today. He's wanting to bring you out. He wants you to come out of that tomb because guess what? He paid the penalty for you already. You don't have to be dead in your sins anymore. And in verse 44, when Jesus said, take off those grave clothes and let him go, some of you, you need to take them off. They're holding you down. They're holding you back from who it is that God created you to be. He wants to bring you up out of that grave. He wants to bring you up out of that muck and mire and place you on solid ground this morning. 
So if you're tired of being held up, if you're tired of being entangled by the sin in your life, if this message hit you smack dab in the face, sorry, not sorry, that's the Holy Spirit calling you out, telling you it's time for a change, telling you that I've got something better for you. You no longer have to live that life that the enemy wants to keep you in, but you can come up out of that grave into a brand new life. Church, if that is for you this morning, I want to encourage you. If that is you this morning, I want to encourage you, you come up front. It's as simple as this. You know that you want to be saved. You know that you need to be saved. And that Christ is calling you out. You don't have to know it all, church. You come forward. We will pray a prayer with you. You confess your sins to the good God that we have. You admit that who you are, you are a sinner. You invite Jesus into your heart. You ask for forgiveness of those sins and you follow him in Christian baptism and church, listen to me. He will resurrect you into a brand new life. So if that's you, I want to encourage you to come forward and the rest of you, church, listen to me. For those of you who already know Christ, those of you who already accepted him, how many of you are being like Thomas, Mary, and Martha? Right now, you're in a rut. And Thomas, you're doubting. You're just like Thomas, you're doubting. You're even being sarcastic about it. God, what are you going to do about it? Or there's nothing you can do. Church, you've got to come back to where you first believed. For those of you who are discouraged, for those of you who, who are just upset about the delay it's time for you to get it back over to God and you trust in him and have faith that his time church is always perfect so how about it let's stand together and let's sing but I want to encourage you to respond this morning